This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. We give God thanks this morning for the beauty that is the intergenerational ministry that we value here at our church, at Apex United Methodist Church. Regardless of what ministry you come into contact with here, you will often find young children and older adults working together to serve the Lord. And it is one of my favorite things about the DNA of this place, about what makes us, us. And that really is what we have been talking about for the last week and what we will continue to talk about throughout the month of September is what goes into our DNA that makes us, us, that makes us who we are And we're looking at that through the lens of of three simple questions. Who were we? Who are we? And who are we going to be? Or who do we want to be as a church? Now, three weeks ago, I was at All Family Worship with many of you wonderful human beings. And we were together, and my wife was there as well. And many people who came up to me and said hello to me and said hello to my wife also made the comment that we feel like this baby's coming pretty soon. So at that moment, my wife was two days past her due date. And sure enough, baby came um, late that night into the morning on Monday morning, August 28th. Austin Emmanuel Sanchez, my son, was born. And we're very, very um, excited about him being in our family. He is three weeks, well, two weeks and six days. Yeah, yeah. He'll be, he'll be three weeks old um, tomorrow. But we give thanks for him. And the reason why I bring that up is to say thank you for the ways that you have been in prayer for my family. Thank you for the ways that um, you have shown my family love through your prayers, through your gifts, through your kindness um, throughout this season. And also... I got to spend some time with my family. I got to spend two weeks um, helping to support my wife and spending time with my son, Austin, and my daughter, Amelia. And that's simply not a reality for everybody. So I don't take that for granted. That's something that this church, out of your kindness and generosity, affords me, affords our pastors, affords our staff. And so I just wanted to make sure I said thank you. Um, Thank you for that opportunity to be present to my family. And it is a joy um, to be here with all of you this morning. Now, as I said, we have been engaging in this sermon series around three simple questions. And last week we focused on who were we? So looking back at our identity as a church, at our best, what what were the markers that that made us um, who we were? who we were. And we looked at that through the lens of Jesus' parable of the sower. Jesus' parable of the sower. And we talked about how, as a church, we have been a church that has been in the process of cultivating the soil, cultivating the soil, helping us to become rich soil for our faith, for the Word of God, that we come together and in Bible study and in worship and in small groups and in service and in doing that, this church has cultivated our soil such that we have have grown in this incredible harvest of faith. And then we have become sowers ourselves. So many 
of the laity in this church have engaged this body in, in many different ways, in leadership, through serving on any of our boards or councils, to, to being part of leading Bible studies and leading groups and classes, to welcoming people on Sunday morning through our usher and greeter ministry, being part of the choir, the handbells, so on and so on and so on. And it is such a beautiful picture of who this church has been at its best. A church of both soil and sowers. And today, we move forward and we ask the question, well, who are we now? If we could take a snapshot of our church in this moment without really looking back or, or looking ahead, what, what would we see? And so I want to share a scripture with you this morning that has established itself as one of the most beautiful and infuriating passages of scripture in the Bible. It can be found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. I will invite you, if you would like to use a pew Bible, if you have your own Bible, if you have an app on your phone, to open, flip, swipe over to Matthew, chapter 20, starting at verse 1. And as you take a moment to get there, I want to set up this passage for us. So, Jesus is about to tell a story. That's what a parable is. A parable is a story in which Jesus is teaching a larger lesson. And he's getting ready to tell this story after he has an interaction with what the Bible describes as a rich young man. And he has this interaction with this rich young man in which he tells the rich young man that if he wants to follow Jesus, he needs to sell all of his possessions and give all of his money to the poor. And what happens is the rich young man leaves that conversation feeling incredibly disappointed because he can't seem to separate himself from his worldly treasure. Now, in response to that interaction, Peter, Peter, often the disciple who should have used a little discretion before speaking, decides that he is going to say something. And so Peter speaks up, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, I've done all of that. In fact, all of us disciples have done all of that. We've given away our, our possessions. We have given everything we have to the poor. We have left our families behind. What reward will we have in heaven? Oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. And it is to that question that Jesus responds with this story, starting now, Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. 
And when those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, I'm sorry, back up. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have spoken your word to me. I pray now that I would decrease so that you might increase and speak it through me. And Lord, if necessary, speak in spite of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, last week in my sermon, I expressed that when I engage the parables of Jesus, one of the methods I like to use for scripture study and for scripture engagement is to consider where I might find myself within the story. What character might I cling to in the midst of this story? And as I hear this story, immediately, first off, right off the bat, I, I want to empathize with Peter a little bit. Because, I mean, was that really necessary, Jesus? It, Peter asked a simple question. You know, what will I have? You could have simply said, the same as everybody else, Jesus, uh, same as everybody else, Peter, grace is for everybody. Instead, Jesus tells this really long story in front of everybody about some landowner and this vineyard and how everybody at the end of the day gets the same amount of money. I mean, come on. Was that absolutely necessary? I find myself being a little frustrated too because if there's any parable or passage in Scripture where we might look at it and see how those who are listening to it get upset, this is one where we might feel that they are justified in how upset they are. It is a beautiful passage and infuriating because it's simply not fair. It's not fair that those who showed up super early in the morning to work in the field would get paid the same amount as those who showed up at the end of the day. But alas, they did, so we have to deal with this scripture text. Now, as we think about each character, it's easy to go ahead and assign some to some specific entities, people. First, we have the landowner, the vineyard owner, um, Jesus is probably attributing that to the person of God. God is the landowner. And then there's this manager that shows up to dole out the payment that the laborers have earned over the course of their day. 
That's most likely Jesus in this story. So if we are reading this story and we are engaging this scripture together, uh, most likely where we're going to fall most naturally is to engage with the laborer, the person of the laborer. And so the question that I then um, want to ask you, if I ask you, who are you in this story? And your response is, well, I'm one of the laborers. Um, When did you get to work? When did you get to work? Are you one of the early risers? Mid-morning, noon, early afternoon? Or did you just get to this whole faith thing? Or are you like me and, and you're like one of the hybrid, the hybrid laborers? You kind of come and go. You come and go from the field. Maybe you showed up early in the morning, but then you, you left for a little while and now it's about five o'clock and you're like, sure, I'll come back. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's you. Last week, I used that metaphor of the parable of the sower to say that our church was like soil and sower. And, and this week, I want to say that when I ask the question, you know, who are we? We are laborers in the vineyard. We are laborers in a vineyard of faith that has been around for 147 years. 147 years. In just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate on October 1st the 100-year anniversary of this building, of this space, of this sanctuary. And we've been sharing story after story of people recalling memories of being in this space, of, of weddings and of playing games and hiding around and ducking under pews and all of these wonderful stories. We celebrate that. We are a church of laborers in the vineyard, some who have been around since the beginning of the day and some who just showed up, some who just showed up. And yet God gathers us all together and we receive the same portion. It is all at the same time beautiful and infuriating. Now, I will talk about the beauty in a moment, but first I want to highlight why this passage causes so many of us to scratch our head in frustration and maybe even a little anger at times. Now, Scott Crostek, this is a pastor. He is a campus pastor um, from the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection. The lead pastor of that church is Adam Hamilton. Maybe you have heard of him. Maybe you have read some of his books or done some of his studies here in the church. We've used many of them um, throughout the life of this church. One of the campuses is the downtown campus, and Scott, Pastor Scott, is the pastor of the downtown campus. And he recently preached a sermon on this scripture text in which he talked about a sin that bubbles up from within the text, and that is the sin of comparison. The sin of comparison. That we often find ourselves generating our self-worth and our value through the lens of comparing ourselves to others. So we ask questions like, do we have as good of or better job than this other person? Do we make as much money as or more money than this other person? Are our children as happy as this other person's children? Are we as physically fit as this other human being? We often find ourselves comparing ourselves to others And what he took even one more step using the lens of social media, so let's say like Facebook, to say that we actually will compare ourselves using the reality of our life 
and compare it to the curated view of someone else's life that we engage with on social media. For example, and this is completely hypothetical, <laughs> completely hypothetical. Let's say that I'm awake at four in the morning and Pastor Angelo is awake at four in the morning because my beautiful son, Austin, has decided to sing me the song of his people. <laughs> okay. And I'm awake at four o'clock in the morning and my son is singing me the song of his people and I decide that while my son is singing me the song of his people, I am going to flip through Facebook. And I do. And I see a good friend of mine who also has a newborn. And that newborn in the picture is curled up peacefully asleep. <laughs> mm. And I begin to compare the reality of my situation with the curated reality of my friend's situation, forgetting about the fact that earlier in the day I shared the same picture of my son beautifully sleeping in the middle of the day. <laughs> so maybe my friend saw that picture and thought, why does my child not sleep in the middle of the day? But here I am looking at this picture thinking, why does my child not sleep as well as theirs? We do this. It's funny, but it's true. We compare our reality with a curated view of someone else's life, often nowadays through the lens of social media. And it happens across all generations. Our kids are doing it, our youth are doing it. It is demoralizing us, it is demeaning us, it is shaming us, it is causing us issues. And it is all out of this sin of comparison whereby we desire to find our value through the lens of someone else. So when we engage this text in the parable of the laborers of the vineyard, we get to the bottom line and find ourselves frustrated because it is not fair. Because comparatively, these human beings who got to work early in the morning should get paid more than these people who just showed up at five. Come on. Come on. At least get that right. We read it as a text about economics. But the text is not about economics at its foundation. It is a parable what a parable stands to do is to teach us something about the kingdom of God. The first thing Jesus says is the kingdom of God is like. He's not saying good business practices are like. He's saying the kingdom of God is like. And herein lies the beauty of this passage because within the kingdom of God, if we're going to look at it economically, within the economy of God, good business practices need not apply. Good business practices need not apply. An assumption of scarcity, an assumption that says not enough, never enough, need not apply. The parable is not about the fact that a vineyard owner paid everybody the same at the end of the day. 
That's a good point, and you can preach that point. But at its foundation, it is not a parable about economics. It is a parable about the kingdom of God. And what the kingdom of God is like, it is like a landowner who had all of this incredible land who personally, he did not send someone else to go out to invite all the laborers into the vineyard. The landowner himself went out at multiple times throughout the day to find people who had nowhere else to go and nowhere else to be and no other people to associate with. And he said, come be a part of what we're doing on my land. That's what the parable's about. That the landowner would reach out, would leave the bounds of the vineyard, go out and seek those who needed to be a part of the work and invite them to it. We are laborers in the vineyard. We are laborers in the vineyard. And we have arrived at different times of day, and yet the owner of this vineyard has called us each by name. Has called us each by name to be a part of the work that he is doing here. A lot comes with acknowledging that that's who we are as a body. Because first is that we are a community of hard workers, and we are. We are a community of hard workers, some of whom have been engaged in the work of ministry in this place for years, for years. Several weeks ago, I took our Apex Campus staff on a retreat. I asked them these three simple questions, and when I got to who are we, they said wonderful, beautiful things, but one of the most honest and vulnerable things that they said to me was, we are tired. We are tired. This church is a beautiful, wonderful church, a reflection of the kingdom of God here in this community. Yet if you start to peel back the skin a little bit, you will see that this church has been through an incredible amount of transition over the last several years. And not just transition, but deep heartache and trauma as well. And we show up on Sunday mornings and we show up throughout the week and and we're greeted with a smile. And we have people here who just love to make people feel welcomed and who love to have people come and just feel like this is their home. And and what you wouldn't know unless you engaged in the leadership of this church and, and got plugged in is that those are a lot of the same people. Because gaps have been created. And the wonderful people that make up the body of this church, they just step into the gaps. They just step into the gaps. And for as much as we love the ministry and we love being a part of it, there are people who are tired. And so one of the things we desire to do is to go out and to call more laborers into the vineyard. We want to see people plugged in to the work that we are doing. This is a church that has the audacity to to believe that what we do here can actually change this community and change this world. 
and we see the fruits of that. If you're new to our community, perhaps there's a place, perhaps God is calling you to plug in somewhere. We'd love to have you. We create resources to give you the opportunities to do it. We have ministry directories that tell you all the ways you can serve, and they don't just give you something to do. They give you a person to call, to connect with. This is a beautiful resource, but we also have people who stand out in crossroads who just love to talk to you about all of the ways that you can plug in to this community. We are a reflection of the kingdom of God on earth. That is our task as a church. And the kingdom of God is like a landowner who owned a vineyard. Who would leave the bounds of the vineyard without any regard to resources because that landowner was unlimited in his resources and invited people in to be part of the work that was going on. We are a church of laborers in the vineyard here. About 10 years ago, the lead pastor of this church is a man named David Brownlee. Incredible man. And he asked this church a who are we question. Maybe some of you who were here at that time will remember. He said, who are we as a church? Are we a cruise ship or are we an icebreaker? Are we a cruise ship or are we an icebreaker? If we're a cruise ship, people come, they pay their fee, and then they're served by the ship. If we're an icebreaker, we come, we are a team, and we work together to break the ice and to forge new paths, not just for us and for our ship, but for people who are following behind us. I think the answer is obvious. Not just who we are, but also who we desire to be. Also who we desire to be. You are laborers in this vineyard. So here are my questions. How are you laboring? Where are you laboring? With whom are you laboring? And if you find that you are stuck in answering these questions, praise the Lord. Let us know. Let us know. Let me know. Talk to us. We'd love to plug you in because at the heart of who we are also is family. We are family together. Amen.